Welcome to the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by a partnership with Missio Alliance and Kairos Partnerships. It's good to see you today, JR. You as well, Doug. How have things been going here in this February? Well, I mean, a few weeks ago, we talked a bit about February being a tough month. And so one of the things that I've been doing is uh, creating some new things. And one of the ways that I've been doing that is I've been learning some new fly patterns, uh, to get ready for the upcoming fishing season. So for those of us who are not fisher people, right. tell us what are like fly patterns. Yeah, dumb question, yeah. but what, what does a, that no, mean? That's a, there's such a thing as a dumb question. Just dumb people who ask right. them. No, no. When it comes to fly <laughs> fishing, I could talk about this for hours. Um, so really, you have a few different kinds of flies. You have streamers, which... Uh, represent like minnows and stuff that that has more movement in the water. Okay, you have nymphs, which are bugs that are turning, that are in the process of changing into something that can fly away. Uh, and then you have what we call dry flies. And this is real super. Some of my fly fishing friends are like, "You're so lame." But the dry <laughs> flies that are the bugs that come out of the water and they fly away, and then they do their egg thing, and then they come back, and then they lay eggs, and you know the whole pattern repeats. So I'm really in the process of learning to tie some new dry flies in the Catskill style. So that's an older style oh of my. tying. Um, and it just, it's feather, it's fur, and it's hooks, and it's, it's thread, and it's just super fun to be wow. able to think through how those things work out. So yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying uh, some of the patterns that I've been tying at uh, terribly, terribly tying, but, but I'm learning. Everything worth doing well is worth doing poorly, as they say. Amen. Right? We got to start Amen. out. If it's worth doing, we got to start out stinking at it. Absolutely. Right. That's the best um, part. And you know, as we, some of you are tuning in going, what does this have to do with pastors <laughs> like, and Monday morning? I thought it but, was Monday morning. But this is important, isn't it, Doug? Just as we talk about making sure we don't take ourselves too seriously. Correct. That we're involved in play and that there are things that we do just with no um, end in mind. We just do it for its pure enjoyment. Absolutely. This is enjoyment for you. This is total enjoyment for me. How about yeah. you? What are some things you've been up to? Yeah, I, I've developed a, a, a new... I, for years, even back to when I did my sabbatical a few years ago, I put down, I want to take a calligraphy class. And uh, I, I like good penmanship and I have a fountain pen I use every morning in my journal. But I thought, you know, I'm just always amazed when I see good calligraphy. Not not the loopy, like cursive-y kind uh -huh. that, that is kind of modern calligraphy, but the ancient stuff. I really wanted to kind of try my hand at that. So I found like a kit at the store and uh, and bought it and and I'm slowly learning. So every day this month I've been practicing and I flip back in my journal and go, man, when I started, it was terrible. I'm still a little bit less terrible now, but um, but it's been fun to see some of the progress and um, when they talk about calligraphy, they say you're not writing, you're drawing letters. And that's a really good distinction for me. And, um, you know, some of the ancient Bibles, like the original King James 1611 Bible, like a lot of that was calligraphy lettering that was done and you can't go quickly. And I think that's one of the things I'm enjoying is it's slowing me down. That's you cool. cannot scratch and scribble it out. It's each letter, sometimes letters take several seconds her letter to be able to do. So it's slowing me down physically, but it's also helping me pay attention. And so I just thought it'd be fun when I'm done, like, look, oh, cool. I did someone's name in calligraphy, but it's actually been a wonderful practice of literally slowing me down because you can't go fast. See, I, I love that. It's just, I mean, similar, but different. It's the same thing with, with I think, what I'm experiencing with tying some of these older patterns. Is yeah, that interesting. It's old. You and can't go fast, too. You can't go fast. I mean, you could try, but it's not going to end well. You, you know, feathers everywhere, all kinds of stuff. But I think there's something really beautiful about 
passing down the, you know, I think back to the second Timothy two, two, you know, yeah. and, and usually my son ties with me, which is oh, fun. cool. But you know, the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust reliable men and women who be able to teach others. And I think that that's what I really appreciate about some of these hobbies that you and I are into at the moment or yeah, some of the these passing practices. Down. They're not brand yes. new things. They've right. been around for years. Yes. This yeah. Is nothing that's a great new. connection. Which I think really is, you know, kind of a beautiful segue to a new initiative that, that you sense God calling you into, into the season. Yeah. There's something we're uh, launching and initiating with Kairos Partnerships called the Young Leaders Equipping Cohort, or YLEC for short. And uh, one of the things, you know, as you and I are getting older, <laughs> uh, we entered the decade of the 40s. Um, but I'm just saying, like, it's great to journey with people our age. But also, I remember when I was in my 20s and 30s, longing, desperately longing for people to build into yes. me and invest in me. And I would even ask proactively and I would get no answer. And I remember writing an, an article um, for a ministry magazine uh, when I was in my 20s called Confessions from a Young Timothy, where I talked about how I've tried so hard to ask for mentors and there's nothing around. And I remember that feeling and thinking, I don't ever want anyone else in their 20s feeling this. So... <clears throat> One of the things that we've done is launched this thing called the Young Leaders Equipping Cohort. It's a free year-long equipping opportunity for young leaders who really are hungry, that want to be mentored, encouraged, equipped, built into. And so one of the things we're doing is meeting monthly in these Zoom calls and then one-on-one -on -one calls uh, with individual leaders. But anyone, any leader, male or female, between the ages of 22 and, tw and 38, 22 and 38 years of age, who just want to learn rhythms of how to be healthy, how to glean wisdom, how to be a more effective leader, but also to work on the inside. What does it mean on the in, inner world of a leader um, that uh, we're offering this opportunity and the application is uh, online and it's live. And we've, also, we've already had several applicants, which is great, but we're only taking five to eight applicants uh, among young leaders that fill this out. So we just want to encourage anybody, the application process is open for another few weeks. March 15th is the deadline. And we want to encourage you to go on to our website, kairospartnerships.org slash young dash leaders dash cohort. And we really want to encourage you to do that. It's also on our homepage. We will also put that in the show notes in this episode as well. But we just want the opportunity uh, to build into male and female kingdom leaders. You don't have to be in ministry. You don't have to be a pastor. Um, but male or female kingdom leader between the ages of 22 and 38 years of age. And uh, again, monthly online group sessions, and there's feedback, conversation, questions, processing together, getting a chance to learn from each other as well, and, uh, and some one-on-one -on -one times with me as well. Completely free, but it is costly, and so it will require uh, some time and energy, and, uh, but we would love the opportunity for you to apply and see if, if uh, you can be a part of that five to eight leaders who, who are in this, this new program. So March 15th is the deadline. Application is on the website. We would love, love to hear from more of you and have you apply. Yeah, Jared, and I, I love how this comes from a very deep place for you. I remember conversations we have had years ago yeah. talking about how you know, we wished we had men or women in our lives that would have like totally. poured into us as young leaders. And just, I love that instead of, instead of just saying, oh, that stinks, you're actually writing a new story. And, and yeah. you're, you're changing the narrative of saying like, yeah, um, men who are, and women who are in their forties are not just people who have arrived as leaders, but they're ones that are now pouring back into the next generation of leaders. Yes. And on top of that, I want to learn 
from young yeah, leaders. Man. So it isn't just, hey, this old wise sage is going to like build into all these young peons. No, 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 <laughs> not at all. There's so much for me to learn from young leaders. And so right this on. keeps me young and fresh. And it also helps me listen and learn from what does the next generation need and how can they lead up? There's so much they have to offer. It's not sit on the bench, earn your stripes, and then you can check in the game. No, no, no. You are not the future of the church. You are the present. And because of that, I need to learn from you as your brother. And so that's a lot of, it's two way is what I'm saying. So love that. We're really excited. Love to have you apply. And, uh, yeah, we'd love the opportunity to hear from you. Yeah, and we'll go ahead and include uh, just the link in our show notes so you can check that out if that's something that really interests you. Um, and uh, thank you so much for, yeah, JR, thank you for pouring into Young Leaders. And mm. um, it's just, I, I know that that's also the heart behind Monday Morning Pastor and just Kairos Partnerships and the things that you are invested and involved in. So just commend you for that and looking mm. forward to see what happens post-March 15th. Yeah, well, I'm excited and uh, love to hear from you all. Our guest today is Carolyn Moore. Carolyn is the founding pastor of Mosaic Church in downtown Athens, Georgia, and she's been serving that ministry since 2003. She graduated from University of Georgia for her undergrad work and her master's from Asbury Seminary, and most recently, she completed her D-Min from Asbury as well. She's absolutely in love with the people of Mosaic, and she's pretty sure that they like her too. The challenge of building an authentic missional community is the thing that gets her up every day. She's also the author of several books, including Encounter the Spirit. JR and I recently had an opportunity to hear her speak at the Ecclesia National Gathering held in Orlando this year. We were blown away by the power with which she spoke, and we think you'll experience that too. Enjoy this conversation with Carolyn Moore. Carolyn, it's so good to have you with us today. Uh, Thank you again for joining us. Thank you. It's great to be with you guys. Really great. Yeah, we we were just talking. We were so blessed a few weeks ago. We are, I guess, about a month ago. We had a chance to be down in Florida with you for the Ecclesia National Gathering, and literally, you were speaking. And I I remember sending a text to Jar like, "We have to get Carolyn on the Monday Morning Pastor," and texted right back, "Heck yeah, yeah,", yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which yeah. is really awesome because that gathering was it was such a, an interesting and and beautiful room in so many ways. I I. I, for the first time in my ministry life, I felt like I'm finally in a room with a bunch of missional, mm. com, you know, like missional pastors, people who really get missional communities. First time I've ever been in a room full like this. And this is really oh. awesome. Mm. I also noticed you were a lot of introverts. <laughs> <laughs> I was a positive about how it was all coming across on my end. Sounds like we would, we did okay. No, you, you did great. But did. yes, we are on the quieter side <laughs> as a network. <laughs> So for for those of our listeners who don't know you or your story, tell us your story. Tell us your story of faith and even your call to ministry. You got it. Well, my call and my faith are are closely connected. Um, And this is something that kind of winds its way through all the way through my story. Um, I came to Christ when I was 12. I, I heard my call when I was 13. And for me, it was very mystical. Call. I was in a mainstream United Methodist Church. We rarely talked about Jesus, never talked about the Holy Spirit. So I, I really didn't have verbiage for a lot of what I'm saying right now. But it was a very mystical experience. I was standing in a pulpit when I heard, this is where you belong, at 13. And um, so 
I didn't know. I didn't know enough to know. This was 43 years ago. I'm 56 now. I just didn't know enough at the time to know that women shouldn't have that kind of call. You know, that wasn't done. Um, so I just began to say to people, yeah, God's called me to be a pastor and um, did not register also the alarm in other faces, you know, <laughs> like, ah, yeah, it's not going to happen. Um, by the time I graduated from high school, I, I, I kind of led in my youth group. But by the time I graduated from high school, my pastor had, had uh, redirected me toward children's ministry, toward or Christian education. Which would have been fine, except that I am a wreck in a room full of children. And <laughs> <laughs> so, and so, and that's where I really discovered, not uh, not on purpose, but by uh, practice, that my call was intricately related to my faith. And when I fell away from my call, I fell away from my faith. So for about ten years, I lived a hard life. I mean, it was uh, in, in my. Uh, family, you can't swing a dead cat without hitting an alcoholic. And <laughs> I, um, I, it took about a beer on the way home from youth group, by the way, <laughs> uh, for me to find out that I had, I had that in my DNA. And so I just lived a really hard 10 years away from the Lord. I got married in that time. Um, there were some really, um, uh, prophetic words spoken into my life by my husband. He didn't know what he was doing at the time either. He was, he was not walking with Jesus. So we, we entered our marriage that way. Sort of, there was this, this call that seemed so heavy on my life that even he, while he wasn't walking with the Lord could see it. Um, and I felt I had ruined myself for, for it. So we got married, we had a baby, we you know, had, a, had a, little, uh, um, a really good job with a, as a, in public relations with a nonprofit. I was doing well. Our life seemed to be doing what your life is supposed to be doing if you're a middle-class American. Mm-hmm. But um, there was the sense in me that this, this wasn't all God had for me. And, uh, and I was still drinking heavily. And so, you know, we were headed to be toward being a statistic. And then I found myself in a Bible study. And, and fast track. I mean, the word just jumped off the page at me. I, 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 the, the call came screaming back into my face. The leadership gifting was there. Um, and so one night I, I was just, I said yes to him. It's like, so, sort of happens where like, Lord, is this all you have for me? And God said, I'm just waiting for you to say yes. Like all that time between 13 and 28 was no, it was about 30 at that time, I guess. It was like no space between it for him. So um, that night, I, I knew and I, I had recovered enough of my faith, was heading back toward Jesus enough to know that if I said no at this point, I didn't know where it would end. And so, um, so I said yes to a call, not really having defined it. My husband was immediately on board for him. It was like I've been waiting years to win this argument. And um, so, so I you know, just sort of began looking around. I found Asbury sort of by mistake almost. Um, and I began my, 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 you know, my, my pathway back into the call of Jesus. So one thing I always knew in those early days was I was not called to preach. God was not going to ask me to pastor, uh, pastor a church. He was not going to ask me to move and he was not going to ask me to preach. And so, you know, at this stage we could say at, I was not we know how these turn out. Right <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so when I when I really kind of uh, 
just gave in completely to surrender, just, just started following in to whatever God had for me. I discovered I, uh, my call is toward people in the margins. Um, I, I, I lead very much a prophetic ministry. I lead a healing, you know, my ministry is full of prophecy, it's full of healing, and it's, it's very missional in its feel. So I was doing missional community before missional community was cool, but not on purpose. It was almost like I felt like I was getting the consolation prize because I couldn't make the other thing happen. Mm. But um, I would have to look back and say um, that God in his pervenient grace was continuously shaping my call despite me and, and, and uh, leading me into a thing that I now would say is just such a joy and a gift, but I backed my way into it. Mm. And I, I think, you know, so it was like God saved me from myself while he was saving me for a call. <laughs> yeah. Well, you talk about prophetic and healing and, you know, we're certainly comfortable with that on our end, but I, some of our listeners may be thinking, what, what, who is this person? Prophetic, healing, missional, those, how do those all fit together? We know that the Holy Spirit is an important element of your life, an important reality, an important person in your life, and something that you spoke about often down in Orlando. Um, there are often misconceptions about the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit. How have you worked through some of those, or what are some of those misconceptions that you notice regularly in leaders, even in pastors, when it comes to the Spirit? Yeah, that's a really good question, because I think the misconceptions come when... Um, when we when we start talking about when we start using Holy Spirit language or supernatural language, or even uh, begin to talk about things like apostolic ministry or prophetic ministry, and, um, and and people just lump all that together with the culture of Pentecostalism, mm -hmm. and um, and and that has been a big part of my journey. Um, I, as I said earlier, I grew up in a mainline United Methodist church where we dispensed the Holy Spirit with an eyedropper. And, and it was not even a full eyedropper. It was just, you know, a little bit here and there, probably just for purposes of, you know, fleshing out a, a, a mission statement, you know, <laughs> um, um, or that guy in the back who keeps saying amen, you know, that, that might, you know, we, we, so, so I, when I went to seminary, I had language, I had, I had language for God, the father. I had some language for Jesus Christ. I had no language for the Holy Spirit. And I've said, I've since heard this, uh, uh, Demetra Barrios, who, who has planted a church in Brooklyn, New York. She says this so well. She said, we evangelical, um, we evangelicals, we have a good uh, Christology, we have a good ecclesiology, we have a poor pneumatology. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that over the years has become my, my real uh, hunger is to understand the Holy Spirit, not to the exclusion of father and son, but is real trying to understand a true Trinitarian gospel. Um, so I've, I've just begun to lean into it. And I discovered early on uh, that, that I have a gifting for uh, inner healing. And that as I have leaned into the Holy Spirit and, and, and uh, in that gifting, God has created significant, I mean, spontaneous and immediate healings in that area, more than I can count today. So that's been a beautiful, beautiful experience. And that's how he walked me in. He walked me in 
missionally, you know, so I wasn't, it wasn't first and foremost a worship experience. It wasn't a manifestation experience. It was, it was, here's a gift that will be useful as you are working with people in the margins who need significant healing in their lives and who probably won't go to a counselor, just not their, just, just not their worldview, what they want um, and what their, what their checkbooks can afford is to walk into a pastor's office and get healing. And if you'll trust it, Carolyn, I will do this through you. And, and as I began to walk in that, I not only got my own personal healing, my biggest healings have come through a spirit led inner healing prayer and, and, uh, and then have been supported by counseling. It has not happened the other way around. Mm-hmm. So that's one place where that's begun to work. And then the prophetic gifting has been has sort of followed that so that I've been able not, not only to walk people into healing moments, but I've also been able to speak into their lives what I see through the Holy Spirit or what the Holy Spirit has, has given me for them. This is who you really are. I know you were told in your childhood you were unworthy, or I know you've been told never to trust anybody, or I know you've been told um, that, that, uh, that you will only find your worth as it is spoken to you by a man. But here's what I want to say to you. Here's what, here's what God wants to say is your truth. And here's what's true, more true about you than what's been spoken. And that has been such freedom and its own kind of healing. Um, and then as I've, as I've moved in that area more, I've begun to really understand the work of prophetic intercession of being able, and I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about prosperity gospel kind of prayers like name it, claim it. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the kind of prophetic praying that says, I, I if I, I know what God's, heart is this community you know god's heart for the community i'm in the the county i am in is is um uh it was it was all of the prospering of this county was on the was on the back of white flight so there's this underlying kind of um racism that lives in the soil of this county so how can i intercede prophetically for my own county so that i am praying the, uh, the spirits of racism out of it and spirits of offense and the spirits of, um, uh, 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 of, of fear and anxiety. How can I pray that out of the soil of my county and pray into the soil of my county, um, the spirit of Jesus and the spirit of love and the, and the spirit of unity. Um, and, and uh, boy, as I've begun to pray those things, I've seen it, I've just seen it work over and over again. We've been able to speak that as, that, that as, that is, sorry, that which is not as if it is mm. on multiple occasions in our own community of faith, in our community at large, and even into people's lives. Mm. So um, I've just become really fascinated with this. The question that I've been asking for years now is what does it look like when, uh, when Wesleyans do supernatural ministry? How does that work itself out in all context? And I've become deeply enamored of Luke chapter nine, and especially that commission in the first couple of verses where Jesus says, uh, he, he, he pulled the 12 together and he gave them more to cast out demons, cure all diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom and heal the sick. 
And if that's how Jesus first sent his first followers out as missionaries into the world, then I assume that's the highest sending for anybody. What does that look like for us? We don't have to take on the whole culture of another tribe in order to live out that kind of supernatural ministry. Mm-hmm. I think that's really beautiful, Carolyn, because my my sense is I, I was I was part of a holiness church uh, when I first started in ministry that very much was like that was for a completely different time. And it sounds like you've you've sort of bridged that gap to say, no, we still stay true to 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 who like the tribe that we're in, but we have to kind of subvert that a bit and figure out ways. And I, I sense that's a challenge though. Yeah, you know, what we do too often is we just throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, we say, oh, I don't want to be that. And we point to whatever that is. And then we just run 50 miles in the other direction. Or or we reject words that are biblical, solid words uh, because they've been misused rather than reclaiming them and properly defining them within our context. We do that with holiness. You know, what you just said, we... Like holiness, you know, brings up all kinds of legalism or it brings up, you know, old time revival tent meetings or it brings up whatever you name, you fill in the blank. And we don't want to be that. So we just reject the word. But imagine if we did that with everything, mm-hmm. like every word we didn't like. What if you walked out onto a golf course and you said um, for the first time and they're teaching you the they're teaching you the verbiage of golf. And say, you know, they're trying to teach you that, you know, if you hit that ball really well, and if this is, if par is five and you hit it in three, that's called a birdie. And you're like, I don't want to call that a birdie. Can we call it something different? People on <laughs> golf course could be like, no, <laughs> no, you're going to learn the term and you're going to use it on this golf course because birdie is what we who wear plaid pants say. that's that's part of the golf terminology you don't get to redefine that because you don't like the word we're asking you to learn the word use it and learn to love the game of golf and then get good at the game of golf i want to say to the to the to the orthodox christian world learn learn words like holiness and learn words like supernatural, learn who the Holy Spirit is, don't reject this stuff or, or rephrase it in your own cool, trendy terms, learn it and then teach it to your people so they can then, when they're reading the scripture, connect the, their very real experience with the very real word of God. Mm, that's good. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> we preaching yet? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> love it. So, you know, we could tell that there was life and hope and vibrancy down in Orlando when we were with you. We can feel that now. Um, on the other side of the spectrum, what do you do when you're going through those moments as a pastor where you just want to pull your hair out and maybe you want to pull other people's hair out in your congregation? So what does that look like for you? You don't have to give names. You shouldn't give names. Uh, but but what do you do when you're discouraged? What do you do when you're down, when that doubt is high, that self-confidence is low? What What do you do? 
And this is what I love so much about what you guys are doing, because I could sit here and preach up a storm about what I had, you know, where I am 17 years into a church plant. Mm. But I can tell you, I would have given anything to have somebody on Monday morning in those first 10 years mm. stop me from quitting. And I have quit. And I've actually turned in my resignation letter here at the church where I am and have been so grateful for the wisdom of someone who said, okay, thank you for the letter. We're just going to shelve it for a week while you, <laughs> while you take your medication, you know, or uh, whatever she said to me. Yeah. Um, so I've been on the other side so much more um, in these last 17 years. And there were things I learned, like, you know, I, I, Early on, when I planted a church, I had every intention of being the female Andy Stanley. Oh. And I, you know, when 17 years ago, the, 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 you know, the method of church planting was big box, rapid growth. And it's mostly, it was, even today, church planting is mostly male dominated. And so all my really amazing, really awesome really supportive guy, church planner friends could make that happen. A lot of the guys I hang out with who really love, really am supported by, they could make the big box rapid growth thing happen, but I couldn't, I just couldn't. And it was so frustrating to me and it drew on all of my unholy ambitions. And I just worked harder, worked harder, worked harder, worked harder, trying to make it happen but I, I couldn't get there. And so, so many, so many. And I was also, I was also always waiting for the other people to show up, you know, because when you first start a church, every fruit, nut and flake in a 50 mile radius finds their way to your doorstep. <laughs> I mean, not the people, <laughs> not the people in my church now. Yeah, <laughs> of course not. Of course, no, of course, of course yeah. not. I'm talking about the people who were there before them. Right, right. <laughs> other people to show up, the functional ones, the leadership quality ones, the type A businessmen type who, who are going to lead, you know, lead my vision team, who are going to show me how to do this, who are going to take over the finance team. And they never showed up. So developing leadership, it turns out in a missional community, developing leadership and developing a budget takes so much longer mm. and costs so much more than anybody ever tells you. You just get the Facebook posts, but you don't know how long it takes to get to the Facebook posts, how much Prozac it takes to get to the Facebook <laughs> posts. <laughs> So along the way, I've done all of it. I've been, I, I was on Prozac for a while. I was on, the, after I developed an immunity to Prozac, I was on something else for a while. I kind of go off of those things here and there when it just got, just to keep my head above water. Mm -hmm. um, and I am an absolute proponent. Sometimes when you're just that far underneath, sometimes medicine is what you need mm -hmm. just to get your head above water. So you can restore yourself to sanity. I've yeah. done the 12 steps over and over again. Um, I, have, I have always had always some group I can be raw and honest with every week, every week meeting with them when I hated it, when I hated them, when I didn't want them anymore. I wanted other people who would tell me what I liked or could start over. Um, I quit groups the way people quit churches, you know, <laughs> but, um, 
but I've always kept an accountability group. Um, so the things that have held me are at times when I've needed it, I've, I have submitted to medication. Mm. At times when I've needed it, I've submitted to therapy. At times when I've needed it, I have, um, you know, I have, I have submitted to the saner voices in my life that tell, tell me you, you can't quit. I don't care what you think. You can't quit. Mm. Um, and, and, and then the things that have held me under the surface all along that I have been relentless about are um, an accountability group week in, week out, all, all the way through. Uh, uh, people I can call on um, for prayer to, who just like, I, I have people I know if I call them and say, I just need you to pray right now. Um, I've had people I could just call and they just pray. They don't try to fix it. They just pray. Um, I have, um, and I have journaled pretty, pretty steadfastly. There's been, you know, coming and going here and there, but pretty steadfastly I have journaled and that's been a means of grace for me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, uh, I have, I have pretty steadfastly kept a daily reading habit and a daily prayer habit. Now that is not to say that is every day, seven days a week, every month, no matter what I've missed, you know, I've missed days regularly. I miss weeks here and there. I miss months occasionally, but, um, but I, I, I've never strayed too far from a daily reading habit. And for me, that daily reading and prayer habit has been, and, and, and the other thing for the last almost 10 years now has been exercise. Mm, mm. So my daily habit is I am up at five or five thirty. I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> Do not hear this as some, Oh, well, she's that person. No, I <laughs> hate it. And, um, and you know that there's, there's a, um, there's a book called one, uh, one thing by, uh, Gary Keller. He's the guy who started Keller Williams realty. And he asked this one question. His whole book is predicated on this one thing. What's one thing you can do such that by doing it, doing it, everything else becomes easier or unnecessary. What's one thing you can do such that by doing it, everything else becomes easier or unnecessary. The one thing I did that made my day so start so much easier is I put my phone, which has my alarm on it across the room. Mm. When I did that Monday morning got easier <laughs> because if I, as, if I get out of the bed to, to, to turn my alarm off, I'll get up. And so like it or not, I get up, I go to the gym. I don't push myself hard. I just, for me, getting there is enough. You win points in the kingdom of God for getting there. (laughs) Um, I spend about 45 minutes at the gym. I come home, I eat breakfast, and then I I have about an hour with Jesus. And that's Bible study, journaling, and prayer. And, uh, And for me, more than anything else, that practice, that early morning practice, exercise, and an hour for devotion has been how I've stayed sane. Mm. Now, even with that, there have, been, there have been times, it's not been a regular thing, but there have been times when I've needed medication. There have been times when I've needed therapy. And there have been times uh, when I just needed to call somebody and have them pray for me. There have been times when my husband had to talk me off the ledge. Or like that time I turned in my resignation. I mean, turned in the letter. 
to my vision team chair and she just she was so wise and she just said thank you very much I got the letter we're going to set it aside for two weeks before I hand it out to everybody else mm. just to talk through what this will look like for you in the church mm. and then you know somewhere in the next week the cloud lifted and uh and I took the letter back <laughs> mm. Mm. wow yeah one of the things that Doug and I talk about and also hear a pattern with those that we interview are two things in terms of how do we create health and sanity? How do we cultivate sanity in a calling that often is filled with insanity? <laughs> and that's the constellation of support, which mm -hmm. you mentioned, the people around your accountability group, your AA group, and a healthy framework of practice. And what are those practices? And you've just articulated both of those categories uh, of what keeps you in the game. Yeah. 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 And, I, and I'll, I, I'll tell you for me, um, too, I, I, I think there is a, there is the, one of the disciplines that my husband and I have chosen to, to have chosen to live out and, and have, and have chosen this for forever. And it's, um, that, uh, well, let me, I'm going to give you two more practices. I'm going to probably mm -hmm. make that three in the end, but all right. <laughs> <laughs> so Almost from the beginning of my ministry, six o'clock Friday to six o'clock Saturday has been our Sabbath. I stink at Sabbath. I'm terrible at Sabbath, but I know I have permission to, um, from six o'clock Friday to six o'clock Saturday, I know I have permission to just, I will not answer. And I tell people in the church this all the time, if you need to be in a hospital bed or a casket before you call me. Mm -hmm. And um, don't call me if you're in a hospital bed, if you're not in leadership. If you're, if you're not in leadership, call your small group leader. Don't call me. Call somebody else. Um, if you're a vision team, I'll take your call if you're in a hospital bed. And so I will answer the phone on Saturday. I will answer it. I'll say, hey, Judy, you'd better be in a casket or a hospital bed if you're calling me. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. I just have one question. And I'll say, I will never get a day off if you and five other people like you just have one question on Saturday. And I'll just, I'll say, ask your question, but understand that's not, that's not kind toward me. It's just not kind. Mm. And uh, I've trained them over years. So I, I almost never, almost never get a call on a Saturday. I'll get somebody who tests it, but they just, <laughs> I just won't answer it, you know? Um, and then, and then the other thing is, um, uh, uh, transparency as a spiritual discipline. We've just decided if you don't want to hear our whole story, we're probably not the right pastors for you. Mm. So, wow. so everybody in our church knows my husband had a porn problem for the first half of our marriage. And he, he had, he leads a porn recovery group. There is nobody in the universe who, and he's a high school history teacher. So there's nobody in the universe who does not know that, that this is, this is the, this is Steve's operating you know, he operates from this place in his, mm -hmm. in his own personal ministry. Um, everybody in the universe knows that I had some kind of drinking problem for 10 hard years that included an arrest that, um, um, and that, and that there, you know, that's it. My children, my, my child, my child has known it. In fact, for years when we started living this out, you know, she was four years old when I went into the ministry, but we just decided to live it out on Sunday mornings. So I'd have to go to her on Saturday night and say, Carol, uh, Claire Marie, I've got something I got to tell you. I remember one Saturday night, she, she said, what else have you done? <laughs> 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 so there's just no, there's just this high level of transparency in our church 
which means that my my band meeting, my group, mm -hmm. can be people inside my church mm -hmm. because there's nothing I won't say. Mm -hmm. um, I've argued with people about this before. They're like, you know, I'm not. I'm talking about an appropriate level of vulnerability. I don't need to stand up in front of my congregation and say things that are just like without context that make people just like. I don't need to increase the creep factor. But what I am saying is in, in the appropriate places, I am an open book. And I, am, I certainly do not let my ministry be guided by shame. So should, should I say something in a private meeting and someone shares it someplace else, there's just no shame there. There's nothing you can't say about me. Just nothing that you can't say about me because as far as I know, I have shared it all. Well, what do you know now you wish you knew 17 years ago starting Mosaic? Um, I, 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 I wish, I wish I had gotten more. I wish I'd done more healing work early on. Mm. Um, I, I wish I had, uh, I wish I'd really understood that, um, everything costs more and takes longer than you think it will. <laughs> mm. Um, I, I wish I had, uh, done more personal work in my sense of call early on. I, I really, I was driven by ambition um, more than by call in those early days. I'm just, I'm just wired that way. I'm just a highly driven person. So I, but my ambitions in those early days were unholy and competitive in nature. Um, and um, I, I wish I had claimed authority because uh, I, th I think I did to some extent and that I made some good decisions early on. Like we had a lot of unhealthy people who came into the church who wanted to be leaders real early. And I was really cautious about that because I could see, you know, you're really not cut out for leadership, even though you think you are, you're probably not ready. Um, I think, I think I did that intuitively but I, I, I didn't do it from a place of spiritual authority. Do you see the difference between the two things? Mm -hmm. Like I, I had some, I had some level of common sense and an intuitive nature, but that didn't translate for me until way into this, uh, into, as, as a spiritual authority. No folks, this is how we're going to do this. And here's why. And, uh, and if you don't like it, it's okay. I don't, I'm not offended. I don't have turf to, 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 um, to, to guard here. And I don't need you to stay in this church. I'm just telling you, I am given to you as your spiritual leader or as the spiritual leader of this church. And this is how we're going to do this. And uh, so, so when I do it now, it's just from a place of much less defensiveness, much quieter, uh, much more loving. Then it was a lot more defensive because I just didn't have my call down. So I wish I'd done more work with my call. Wish I'd done more work uh, in terms of just personal identity. Uh, yeah, those are the things. And and I'll tell you, boy, there there are two things. Um, a Lutheran pastor told me early on. He said they will they will run you into the ground and they will cry at your funeral. <laughs> <laughs> Um, to learn how to say no, 
learn that you're not the only person who can fill every need. You're just the easiest person to fill the need. Mm-hmm. I wish I'd learned earlier on to say no. Um, and uh, dang, I just missed the other one. It'll come back to me. Um, but but uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So this life of living in the spirit, Many people, this may be like, yeah, we sort of give our token allegiance to the Spirit. But I'm saying, Carolyn, wow, what I'm hearing, I really want to lean in further with this. So some readers are really thinking through that. What does this look like on a practical level? And what I'm not asking for is, what are the seven steps, add water and stir? But what does it look like to practically cultivate a life that is open and accessible for the Spirit to be used in my life? How would we encourage people in that? Here would be my shameless plug for the book that just came out. Yeah, great. Uh, actually launched this week. Um, so you can go to Seabed uh, to get that book, seabed.com. And it's called Supernatural by Carolyn Moore. And it is, it is uh, I've, I've just given you 40, 40 of my personal experiences uh, talking about the Holy Spirit using Luke chapter 9 as a guide. It comes to with eight uh, video sessions if you want to do it as a group. But if you just want to take the workbook by yourself and do the workbook, uh, that would be a great place to jump in and get my experience. Yeah, great. That's great. awesome. Beyond that, here are two things that I just, you know, because I, I learned it myself. I really just kind of figured it out myself. And um, and in learning it myself, I, I, um, I started in two places. I just started practicing the art of healing prayer. I found somebody I trust and uh, we would just start, we, 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 um, transfer transformational prayer ministry, transformational prayer ministry. It used to be called theophostic prayer, but now Mm -hmm. if you go online, transformational prayer ministry, there's a ton of resources on there. And, um, and in the early days, we just picked up this guy, his name's Ed Smith. We just picked up his resources on healing prayer and the resources of Francis McNutt, um, he has a, a, a just a, a, a magnificent book on called Healing, um, and we just took those two resources and we just began to practice on each other, and um, and in that context, one of the greatest healings of my life came while I was practicing on Angel Davis, and Angel Davis was practicing on me, and we owe each other so much for the work we just did, just the two of us in the place of prayer together. Um, and uh, I mean, huge healing came out of just practicing healing prayer. And that's healing prayer really is just list, just take I'm just going to let Jesus take me back through my memories to a place. Usually it's in my childhood, not, not necessarily, but usually it's in my childhood where the enemy spoke a lie into my life through an experience. And, and, and I have to now, um, Stand in front of that experience, hear that lie, and then let Jesus replace it with his truth. And that can be life-changing. Have it in a moment. That's as simple as it is, really. So we just began to practice healing prayer. The second thing that I did really made a big difference in learning to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit as he's speaking is I learned um, to journal in two colors. Uh, I, I make my own notes in black or blue ink and I write what I believe the Holy Spirit is saying to me in red ink, like, you know, the words of Jesus in red in your Bible. 
and um and then and then I can go back several days later and anything that's written in red, I can test it with a little bit of time and perspective and say, you know what, that actually is a word from God. Um I think that's actually a prophetic word spoken to me by the Holy Spirit. And I, and I need to cling to that. I need to bring it forward in my journal, write more on that, listen more, write what I hear in red. And, um, and, and even if like, if I have a question, like, Lord, what are your priorities for me right now in this season? Is, is, this, a, is this a new season for me? And if it is, what are your priorities for me in the season? I'll write that question at the top of my page. What are your priorities for me in the season? And then everything I hear, I write in red and I do it non-judgmentally. I don't try to decide before I write whether this is Jesus or me or last night's Mexican food. I just <laughs> write, just write. Nobody dies if you're wrong. It's just you and your journal. And I need to make sure your listeners hear this. Nobody is going to publish your journal. Yeah. I know you hope to be C.S. Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> And they're going to dig up your journals or, or Oswald Chambers and, and, and publish everything you've ever written later. And, and it's really, it's going to be published. Possibly that will happen. If it does, they will publish it as your brilliance. <laughs> Chances are more likely that your stuff will go in the dumpster with everything else when your children are cleaning out your house after you die. <laughs> so don't. don't don't write for publication in your journal. Don't write to be legible in your journal. Just mm. write. Oh, that's Get good. Get outside yourself so, good. so you can look at it and see it. And, you know, so even in my, in my crazy days, um, I'm counting my biggest crazy days is behind me. I'm just claiming that right now for the name of Jesus <laughs> Christ. Uh, but in my craziest days, this is what I would do. I just write the crazy, stupid worst of my insanity I'm in my journal. Come back to it a few days later and go, okay, yeah, you know what? Actually, you were sort of off the deep end from Monday. You know? <laughs> it's Thursday. You're going to be okay. And now I just remembered the other thing. And that is this, this was huge for me. Every day, get up and start again. Mm, mm, just mm. believe, claim for yourself the word that says, his mercies are new every morning. Mm. So you bombed yesterday. So there were five people in church and they were sitting as far as far as possible. Mm. You know, so, so you preached a word you didn't actually believe. You know, that's just get up today, find something you know and do it. Just mm. get up every day and start again. Mm. And, and, that's been it on my most depressed, most painful days. Just get up and start again. If you failed yesterday, just get up and start again. Try something else. Chances are you're not as big a failure as you think you are, and you're never going to be the rock star you have, you know, made yourself out to be in your head as a possibility. Yeah. Well, Carolyn, um, <laughs> we, I just appreciate so much uh, this conversation that we had. I feel like it was so interesting to go from swinging dead cats to these brilliant spaces of, um, yeah, just seeing God's goodness and his kindness, um, but even the authority that Jesus has given. And and mm. I just wanted to say, I'm so grateful that you're not Andy Stanley. I'm yeah. grateful that you're Carolyn Moore. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
And yeah, just thank you so much. I feel like what a kind word to end with too, just that every day get up and start again. And so we just wanted to say thank you so much for joining us uh, on the Monday Morning Pastor. And we look forward to continuing to just hear what God's doing in your life and ministry. Oh, and also for the listeners, she's got a podcast coming up that we will make sure that you all get to check out too. So thanks for joining us, Carolyn. Blessings upon blessings upon blessings on you and all who are reading, uh, all who are listening. Jesus, just pour out, pour out fresh hope, pour out vision. Uh, pour out, pour out, pour out kingdom vision, God. Keep us looking over the horizon, Jesus, beyond our current Amen. circumstances so we can stay trained on you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks. What a ball of energy. Oh my goodness. And hope. Dude, we were dying. I mean, there were a few <laughs> we were times I back. was like slumped over <laughs> my chair, struggling to breathe. She is funny. I, I am so grateful for Carolyn and what we saw down in Orlando Seriously. came out here in this conversation, which is just awesome. So um, yeah, what were a couple of things that stuck out to you? Yeah, I really appreciate the way that she... Um, has really approached healing ministry and prophetic ministry. Um, I know for me, that's been a, a very growing space in the last, I'd say six to nine months. It's a space that I really cut my teeth on and then kind of walked away from for quite a few years. And just to see that regrowing in me um, and just meeting these other players who have been in that same world, it's just been super encouraging. But I loved how she would go from like, deeply theological to deeply practical. And it was like, just switch. Funny. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> yeah. It was, I mean, some of the things, you know, in terms of, you know, putting, putting my phone on the other side of the room, it's like, that is deeply theological and deeply practical because it's like, it's not the, you're not just reaching across, but it's something that, I don't know. There's just so many good things that she shared in that. And again, the humor, it just felt so good to laugh and to, and to be moved to tears and also to just be thinking through the ways in which God's at work in her, in her life and her community. How about you? What were some things that jumped in, jumped out off the page for you? I appreciate the way she doesn't just talk about grace. Mm. She knows she needs it yep. and that she was very open about her husband's addiction, about her own uh, addiction to alcohol and AA and her need for therapy and even not just medicine, but like naming, you know, Prozac, like mm -hmm. that she wasn't hiding anything. And it's one thing to say we shouldn't hide anything, but then she just doesn't hide anything in the conversation and how she so trusts the Lord and the guidance of the spirit in her life. Yet she still also says there are times where I really needed counseling and I really needed 12 steps and I really needed um, medicine. And that reminds me, you know, in Nehemiah, when they're rebuilding the wall and they're worried about a threat of attack from the enemy, um, it said we strapped... Uh, we strapped swords to our hips and we prayed to God. And I love that balance of if we push it all on God, God do something. Yeah. But we also, he also calls us to do something about it too. But if it's all on us and we never reply, rely on the Lord, that's bad. And so I just love the fact it felt like she was strapping on some proverbial swords to uh -huh. her hip while also praying to God. And I think that's a good balance for pastors. I think when I've seen healthy pastors, they've done both. And, and so that's the first thing that stuck out to me in addition to her need of grace, but her, 
how bold and direct she spoke to people in her church about Sabbath. <laughs> it was yes. really striking. But it reminds me of something that Eugene Peterson, Eugene would tell me that he actually wrote a letter to his congregation every year. And he just, it was like the social contract of here's what you can agree uh, that I'll do for you. And here's what I'm asking you to do for me and my family. And one of the things he would write often is he would say, I will help you keep your Sabbath if you help, help me keep mine. And in some ways that reminds me of what Carolyn was saying. Hey, I want to help you thrive, but you got to help me have a day off uh, by not calling me. And uh, I love that she was so bold and gracious, but bold in setting those parameters for health and rest in her own life and ministry. That was really important. It was so important. So yeah, what are some resources that we can uh, we can give to people? Yeah, uh, I mean, first of all, I I feel like the greatest one that just was a mind blowing thing for me was to journal in two different colors. Like, yeah, to, like have you amazing, know, so good. But to to even just as you're sitting and listening to switch colors to red to say. And just to say, these are the words of the spirit. And then, but to be able to look back and say, that was just bad Mexican food. Yeah. But I just really appreciated that super practical step of just journaling. And, you know, so I guess the resources, man, journal, get back to your, open up that journal that you might only have a few days worth in the 2020 in and get back to it. Yeah. Or maybe you've never tried, just try twice this week. That's good. Just, just start. Oh, that's so good. You know, just, just start that. And, uh, and I love how she said, like, your journals probably won't be published. They'll be thrown away by your kids when you die. Like, I'm like, that is so true. <laughs> is so true. Unless you're C.S. Lewis. Right. And even how she said, they don't even need to be legible. I think that was really interesting too, that you think, oh, I have to have perfect penmanship. But no, just, just journal. And uh, yeah, that was a great resource. What else? Yeah. I think the other, the other resource that I thought was, I think we should all just go ahead and buy, go to seedbed. Is it.com? Seedbed.com? I think it's seedbed.com. Yeah. yeah. And pick up Carolyn's book, Supernatural. Um, it just came out. So I think that would be something definitely, definitely worth, worth, uh, worth, worth playing in, swimming in, seeing what's going on there. How about you? Was there any resource for you, Jr.? No, I think those are the two that uh, that that we were going to focus in on, which is great. So, um, how about questions? Oh yeah, one question, and I just want to keep it at one because it it comes from the. She talked about a book from the guy that started Keller Williams, and it's just this: uh, What one thing can you do? this week to open yourself up to the work of the Holy Spirit. Super simple, but yet super profound. Yeah. Well, pastors and listeners of the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast, as you go, would you remember that grace is available to you and that you can create a constellation of support and engage in healthy, grace-filled rhythms and practices to be able to live the kind of life that Spirit empowered. May you go not being afraid of the Holy Spirit, but to realize the Spirit is a friend, a teacher, a reminderer, an empowerer, and an equipper. And may you lean into that friend, not out of fear, not out of concern or baggage even from our past, but may we lean into this friend who wants to help us and guide us toward healing, toward reconciliation, and towards living further into God's mission. God bless and bless God. Amen. Amen.